Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Our special guest, Colin Dickey, with us. His latest book is called The Unidentified, Mythical Monsters, Alien Encounters, and Our Obsession with the Unexplained. Let me tell you a little bit about Colin. Grew up in San Jose, California, a few miles away from the Winchester Mystery House. That's one of the most haunted houses in America. We'll talk a little bit about that. As a writer, speaker, and academic, he has made a career out of collecting unusual objects and hidden histories from all over the country. He's a regular contributor to the L.A. Review of Books, co-editor with Joanna Ebenstein of the Morbid Anatomy Anthology. He is also a member of the Order of the Good Death, which is a collection of artists, writers, and death industry professionals interested in improving the Western world's relationship with mortality. He's got a Ph.D. in comparative literature from the University of Southern California, also an associate professor of creative writing at National University. Colin, welcome back. You were on with our colleague Dave Schrader a few years ago. It's good to have you back. Yeah, thanks for having me back. And uh, this, I'm looking forward to this latest book, The Unidentified. That sounds great. Tell me a little bit about the Winchester Mystery House. What makes it so haunted, in your opinion? Oh, yeah, the Winchester Mystery House. So um, for, for people who don't know, Sarah Winchester uh, was the uh, daughter-in-law, the guy who invented the Winchester Rifle uh, Company, and her infant child, and then subsequently her husband died uh, at a young age, and so she inherited this vast sum of money, and she... Um, According to legend, she was she became convinced she was uh, her family was cursed, and a psychic told her that the the thing to do would be to uh, buy buy a house that that was never finished. So she bought this eight room farmhouse in San Jose, California, and started started building on it supposedly uh, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week for the the rest of her life. And so the the Winchester Mystery House, which you know you can still go visit, still sort of in the heart of. Well, actually, I don't, I, I don't know if tours are going on right now, but theoretically, <laughs> you can visit. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's this 161 room sprawling Victorian mansion that just kind of you know it just oozes out in every direction. It's it's one of the weirdest, coolest houses, and uh, and yeah, I, I grew up down the road from. I used to go there all the time as a kid. It really kind of uh, piqued my interest in these kind of weird spaces and these kind of uh, forgotten destinations that we we don't pay too much attention to what is it Colin, about people who love to go to scary places they just love it and as you I mean, say in the last part of your book title our obsession with the unexplained yeah i mean i think you know like for, for a lot of us it's just this this desire to believe that there's just something more out there you know there's something that's just not uh quite explained by you know science or religion or what have you the kind of stuff that falls between the cracks it's it's just you know, like it's it's all out there. It's all around us. We don't have a good explanation for it, so we kind of just kind of keep coming back. It's kind of like it's like that itch you just kind of can't can't quite get to, and you keep wanting to scratch it. And I think it just kind of draws us these kind of weird things. And of course, tell me about the morbid anatomy anthology. What the heck uh, is that? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That that's a project. Uh, you know, my friend Joanna started that I that I became involved in, and I think it's really just. Um, you know, the, the again, I mean, we, we tend to think of this stuff as kind of gross, you know, the kind of history, kind of weird medicine and, you know, kind of pathology and stuff like that. But it, it also has this kind of kind of interesting aesthetic and kind of it's kind of beautiful at times. And so, you know, uh, Joanna's been really involved in kind of making that uh, that kind of historical inquiry into the history of medicine and other kind of weird stuff, kind of her uh, 
her bailiwick. So her and I put together this this uh, book that's just sort of a collection of writers kind of tackling, uh, you know, that that kind of, uh, you know, historical fascination with medical oddities and stuff like that. So that was a lot of fun. And where do people get the un- unidentified? Uh, it's out. It's out. Well, I mean, it's out as of today. So by the time you, great you timing. Up, uh, yeah. So right. So yeah. It, it's uh, anywhere Amazon Bookshop dot org. Anywhere you guys buy books. Yeah, it should be there. You focus a lot on cryptids, UFOs, lost continents of Atlantis and Lemuria. Tell me about that connection. Yeah, I mean, I you know, again, as I was saying, you know, I think that I, I started looking at this stuff kind of, you know, even less like does is it real so much as like you know when did we get interested in this? Why did we why did we become interested in this stuff? And it all seemed to coalesce around like the the right right around the end of the 19th century and into the 20th century. You know, the Atlantis. I mean, you know, you got Plato talking about Atlantis. Uh, you know, in, you know, ancient Greece, but. But everybody kind of forgets about it until this guy, Ignatius Donnelly, in, in the 1870s, uh, publishes this book on it, and that kind of reignites our our sudden uh, newfound obsession in Atlantis, and and you know, which which continues to last to today. Um, you know, and I, I think what what I what I started to see when I kind of tried to figure out the kind of historical connection is, is the the second half of the 19th century into the 20th century. That's really when we start to see. Um, you know, science and religion kind of polarized into kind of two different ways of looking at the world, these kind of two separate camps, right? And they're both, they both have all these answers, right? Both, you know, science and religion kind of, you know, say, you know, we've got all the answers, just, you know, trust us. And, and meanwhile, you know, there's all this stuff that kind of doesn't get kind of answered by either of them. And I think that's when we kind of start to look for for, for what's going on here. So people who are, you know, starting to look for, for cryptids, for you know, Bigfoot and Chupacabra and all that stuff. They, you know, they they were were interested. You know, we became interested in this stuff right around the time that you know science and religion kind of pretended like they could answer all these questions, and we we were left with this kind of weird remainder. And that that seemed to be the the kind of connecting thread through a lot of the stuff that ended up kind of informing uh, what this book became about. Have you uh, seen some of the latest videos that the Pentagon has acknowledged now about these UFOs that the Navy fighter jets chased? Oh yeah, yeah, it's crazy, right? Yeah. And, oh my God, uh, yeah. Yeah, and and there, you know, there's uh, you know reports that the Pentagon was paying, uh, you know, I think I think they paid like twenty million dollars to some contractor to to you know figure out if there there's anything to these videos, which to me is either like. If there's if if it's a hoax, then man, that was a waste of money. And if if it's real, then man, that's not nearly enough money. I mean, this is the mm-hmm. biggest discovery ever. We should be putting a little bit more money into it. So it's a weird, the weird number. So yeah, who knows? I mean, we're we're well, I guess we're going to see more, but uh, but it's, stay tuned, I guess. Colin, what got you interested in the unusual? Uh, you know, I think that I've always been interested in that stuff that kind of nobody else wants to uh, wants to touch. You know, I, my first book was uh, ended up uh, this was a long time ago, but it ended up being uh, a lot about phrenology, which is uh, you know the science of the the bumps on your head and whether or not they indicate your personality. And I I thought, well, you know, this is not very good science, but it it is it, it did really have an impact on the 19th century. You know, it did it did have an impact on history and. You know, Walt Whitman was a big believer in phrenology, and I, I, I realized that just because something is a little strange or off-ball, you know, a little goofball, doesn't mean that uh, uh, it doesn't doesn't motivate people to do things and, and change the world that we live in. So I think I, I, 
I got interested in this stuff because it seems like um, we should we should be taking this stuff seriously if it if it if it affects our world. We're going to talk about three individuals from the 19th century, early part of the 20th century that you key on the first part of your book. Let's start with Ignatius Donnelly. Who was Ignatius Donnelly? So, yeah, Ignatius Donnelly, one of my favorite guys, he's sort of a failed real estate developer who then goes into Congress. He, he serves a couple of years in, uh, in the U.S. Uh, Congress in the 1870s, and then, you know, his, his political fortunes change and he's 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 left out so he decides what he's going to do is he's going to write a book on the history of atlantis which um you know and he, he's i mean you know plato notwithstanding he's kind of the, the first guy in modern times to really kind of take this seriously and um he uh so he writes this book as a, it's a huge bestseller uh you know people are just really really anxious for this for you know it's it's so around the time, this is, you know, right around the time when uh, kind of the Western world has kind of figured out pretty much everything, where everything goes on the map. You know, like, you know, the explorers have pretty much been everywhere. They've, they have kind of filled in the, the spaces of the map. There's nothing really left to, you know, quote unquote, discover, right? And so when Ignatius Donnelly comes along during this time and he's like, well, maybe there's a whole other continent, you know, and we'll never get there. It, it, it kind of kind of triggers that 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 love and obsession and that that fascination with you know kind of those undiscovered places and so that's that's his you know that's that's his big uh kind of contribution he ends up writing a, a thousand page book about how shakespeare didn't write the place attributed to him that huh. doesn't go over quite so well but you know that's the kind of guy he was was he respected during his lifetime Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he was uh, he he. You know, as I said, I mean, he he was a he was a big bestseller. You know, I mean, he got um, got letters from uh, you know people like Charles Darwin who are like, well, you know, I I don't know that I believe everything, but I think this is a, a cool idea, and I think you've done good work here. And so, yeah, so he had he had a pretty far and wide impact. Um, you know, he he kind of in his later life he could never really replicate that success, and I think he. He got a little embittered in his later life, but uh, he definitely had his moment to shine. And, and, I mean, we're still talking about Atlantis, and I think that's that's thanks to our good friend Ignatius. A name we've heard before, Madame Blavatsky. Tell us about her. Yeah, and so it was sort of around the same time. You know, she's uh, she's pioneering this, you know, this idea of, you know, what, what becomes theosophy. Uh, but she also is, she takes, she takes the idea of Atlantis, and then she takes this other idea uh, Lemuria, which uh, was originally an idea that, you know, maybe there's a continent between Madagascar and India where, uh, you know, which explains why there are lemurs on both of those places. And uh, it sunk a long time ago and, um, and you know, thus the name Lemuria. So she, you know, the geologists kind of lose interest in that idea. It kind of doesn't quite work for them, but she, she picks it up and she really runs with this idea that, you know, if Atlantis can be Somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, maybe there's a, a, a Pacific Ocean corollary, uh, Lemuria. And so, you know, like once again, you know, we're, we're sort of looking for kind of new and undiscovered lands. And, and uh, you know, unlike Ignatius, uh, you know, uh, uh, Blavatsky adds a, a, a lot more of a kind of metaphysical dimension, you know, this idea that like uh, different different descendants or, you know, kind of different evolutions of human beings existed on these various sunken continents. And the Lemurians were were slightly advanced uh, from, you know, you know, you and I or whatever. And, you know, they, and so, um, you know, so that, that again, this idea that, you know, it's, it's not just a lost continent, but it's a lost continent with these kind of, kind of semi magical or semi advanced or, 
you know, creatures kind of floating around. Maybe they're human, maybe they're not, you know, and that, that then becomes, you know, what, what people now, you know, talk about in terms of, you know, maybe, maybe the Sasquatch, maybe that's a, like a different kind of moment of evolution in, in human beings or, or something like that. You know, I don't know. Like, I, find different theories all over the place. One of my favorites at the time, Charles Fort, uh, creator of the Fortean Times. Tell us about him. Yeah, and again, I mean, Charles Fort, uh, you know, who's a huge influence on this book, and I, you know, I imagine for, for a lot of your listeners. And the, the difference between Charles Fort, the, the reason why I think just Charles Fort is so great is that, you know, he, unlike Blavatsky and Lemire, he, or uh, uh, Ignatius Donnelly, like, he doesn't necessarily put forth a thesis. You know, that's what's really great about those books. Is he's just sort of like, he lists all this crazy he stuff. He just lays it out there, doesn't he? Exactly, yeah. He just kind of puts it out there and he says, you know, science doesn't have a good answer for this. I don't have a good answer for this, but it looks like it happened. So go do with that what you will. You know, I mean, the idea of, you know, the Book of the Damned, you know, which is what, what his first book is called, the idea that these are damned facts. These are facts that are kind of cursed and driven out of, of uh, res- the respectable halls of science. That, that to me, is a, is a really cool idea. And so, uh, so yeah, so, so I, what I try to do in this book is best I could kind of follow kind of Charles Ford's model by, you know, kind of, you know, reporting and, and kind of trying to trace this stuff without necessarily feeling like I needed a, a strong scientific answer for why everything happened. Colin, how different was Charles Ford from Ripley? They were around the same time period. And uh, Ripley, of course, finding oddities and little crazy things, too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's part of a whole movement. I mean, I think that, that Ford is really the, the, the uh, originator of that kind of inquiry. Because, you know, and I, again, I mean, I'm sure some of your listeners know this, but he starts out writing books closer to, you know, Donnelly's book in Atlantis. He, he has this book about, you know, maybe human behaviors controlled by, like, radio waves through uh, the planet Venus or something like that, but he, he can't find a publisher for it, and, uh, and it never gets published, and um, he, uh, he burned the manuscript. We don't have it anymore. We have no idea what was in it, but, uh, but you know, this idea, you know, so he starts with this idea, like, well, I've got this kind of crazy thesis, but what he actually ends up, you know, being well-known for is, is, is the opposite, for sort of resisting putting his own ideas in there and just sort of collecting, collecting the facts and collecting these, uh, these reports. On March 3rd, 1876, large hunks of flesh fell from the sky over Olympia Springs in Bath County, Kentucky. We didn't have airplanes then. What the heck was going on in 1876? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's uh, one, of my fa- one of my favorite things to research was the, the great Kentucky meat shower. And, uh, right, we have, we have these reports. We have this, this woman and her granddaughter were out uh, outside and these just this meat starts falling from the sky uh and uh it, it, you know they collected it up in jars um but was it human flesh so we don't exactly know for sure uh you know there was some uh, analysis that said that it was the closest thing was either horse or baby human baby. oh <laughs> god yeah i know it's really gross my favorite story, the, the New York Herald uh, sends a reporter out, and he, he gets a chunk of this stuff, and he tries to pay a, an Irish laborer, quote-unquote Irish laborer, that's how he describes him, to eat it. And so the, he gets this laborer guy, and he's like, you know, uh, you know, I'll pay you to eat this meat. And the guy's like, okay, sure. He gets it on his plate in front of him, and he's like, you know, uh, I, I really need something to wash it down. So the, the reporter gets him uh, some, uh, some whiskey, 
So, you know, make it a little easier. And, you know, and, and then the, the laborer's like, uh, can I get some vegetables too? And he, you know, <sighs> gets them, gets them some sides. And then, uh, and then finally the laborer just says, uh, you know, I just remembered that it's Lent. I can't eat meat. And he takes off. Smart guy. <laughs> Was it fresh, exactly. Colin? Uh, yeah, it appeared to be fresh. It, uh, yeah, and it's, uh, it's still not, I mean, there are lots of theories about what it was, but, uh, I don't know that I buy necessarily any of them, uh, but, uh, yeah, so what, well, I don't know, what do you think? Well, and regardless of what it was, how did it come down from the skies? I mean, I don't get it. I mean, you're not flying, there's, you, you can't drop it from a plane, there's no plane. What, how did that happen? Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the one of the best quote unquote theories is that it was a pack of vultures who uh, were flying overhead and vomited. But um, and they decided they didn't want it. Yeah, exactly. They were, you know, they were eating a horse somewhere. Maybe the horse, maybe the meat had turned. Uh, that might make okay. sense. That makes sense. Yeah, but but there, but you know, but there were no reports of you know giant packs of flying vultures. So it's, it sort of makes sense, but it's not. Perfect. I don't know. What yeah. if what if a UFO gobbled up some people, did whatever they did to them, and then dumped them? And then dumped them. Yeah, I suppose that's possible. I mean... And, Can, you can't and, rule it out. Yeah, yeah. I heard one theory that maybe uh, they were firing, like, smallpox-tainted meat uh, out of a cannon or something like that, but that, that doesn't exactly hold a whole lot of water. What did you do with the University of Transylvania? Oh, so right. So, um, so I'm I'm trying to figure out. I go out to Bath Springs, Kentucky, where this supposedly happened. Of course, there's not really any traces of it. And then I find out that there is actually in a jar in the University of Transylvania, supposedly a remaining piece of this meat. So I go to the uh, from 1876. It's still there. Yeah, yeah. This 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 weird museum on the University of Transylvania campus called the Monroe Musnick Museum, which they've collected up all these really bizarre kind of historical oddities and medical oddities that the uh, the university has stockpiled. It's a really old university, and so and they have a jar, uh, and it says you know kind of an old faded script. It says Olympia Springs, and in it is this kind of uh, you know alcohol substance, and inside the alcohol substance is this. Thing. <laughs> it's really gross looking. It's like it's all kind of white and bloated. It doesn't, you know, if you're thinking it's going to look like meat, it doesn't look like meat. It looks like, uh, you know, it looks it looks kind of just like this old bloated white knobby bit of organic matter, you know, Bizarre. like. But and that's that supposedly is uh, the last remaining evidence of the the Kentucky meat shower. So I I, I went to University of Transylvania to take a look at that stuff. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.